Well, hey, look, it's me again. All right. If you would, open up your Bibles uh, to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, or just look in your bulletin. We've got it there for you as well. Um, today we're wrapping up kind of a large section in which Paul exhorts the Philippians to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. And last week we saw that we are to work out the salvation that God has given us and to do so with the reverent humility. Today, we see that we are to live in light of what we've been talking about, the already, not yet. We're to do this as God's faithful children, that the light of Christ may shine forth into our dark world. Now, Grace Church, do you understand that this is our calling to live with such gospel beauty that our neighbors experience the light of Christ in us and are drawn to him? Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us this morning. I think it hits us from a number of different angles, um, but it also lifts us up and gives us great hope and joy. I pray that your spirit will be present with us so that we can understand these ancient words and apply them to our our hearts, that we may be the children of God who shine as lights into our community. We pray, pray this knowing that you answer your children's prayers, and we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. In his commentary on this book, Philippians, N.T. Wright tells a story of an architect and his dying dream. And since we've got a few architects here this morning, you'll probably enjoy this story. If not, just listen in. Uh, He says uh, it it was an ugly city. The fine old buildings had been pulled down over the years, and they had been replaced with huge square concrete monstrosities. They were designed for function, not so much for good looks. And and by now, even they were getting tattered and ragged at the edges. The city was a depressing place. But then an architect was appointed by the city council to design a new civic center right in the heart of the city, in the middle of all that ugliness. They couldn't afford to pull everything down, but they could begin a process of making Uh, uh, the city once more into the beautiful place that the picture showed that it had once been. The architect was not a young man, and he'd always cherished an opportunity 
like this. He went to work on the design, and some while later, the preparations were all complete, and he, he saw the foundations being laid. But then he was taken ill, and he was unable to complete and carry on the project himself. But he still cared passionately about it and gave detailed instructions to his colleagues as to how it was all to proceed. After all, he said to them, when people think of me, I want, I want them to think of this beautiful building. You've got to make it so it stands out like a lighthouse in the midst of a dark storm, showing people that there is such a thing as beauty, even if everything else around is ugliness. That is my reward. In our passage today, Paul is like that architect. He's looking forward to the day of Christ when God will bring about a transformation of the entire cosmos. All that is ugly shall be made beautiful through the return of Jesus Christ as Lord. He doesn't know if he's going to live to see that day, but he has designed a building that if the builders keep working at it the way he's called them to, it'll stand out as a thing of beauty in a world of ugliness, a sign to the world of uh, what God will eventually do to the whole city, to the whole world. Paul is addressing this church in Philippi, and he's saying, you are to be like that beautiful building in a city full of decay and darkness. Obviously, this isn't just a message for that ancient church. It's a message for us today. We're to live together as one body, diverse, but yet with a great unity. We are to live out our calling that Christ gave us thousands of years ago on the Sermon on the Mount. We are to be a city on a hill that which shines light so that people can see the love of God in this world. We are to live with such beauty as a church that the watching world comes to experience a foretaste of what our Heavenly Father is up to in the age to come. But it's not as easy as it looks. The problem we often face as children of God is what we can call gospel dementia. We forget God, who He is, all that He's done, all that he's pledged to do. And when gospel dementia sets in, when God and his gospel are no longer the central reference point, almost invariably, we start to lose our joy and give in to grumblings and complainings. So, Paul's message is a message for us today. We need to hear his words. He is saying, as children of God, we are to live as light in a world engulfed in darkness. We're going to see that as we unfold two different things. First, we're going to look at our calling to live as children of God, and then our approach to living as children of God. First, our calling. What we see here is that when we live like the children of God that we are, then the church is a thing of beauty in the world of ugliness. We have three things Paul wants us to see. First, Paul says that because of their calling, the children of God are not to be complainers. Do you see how this began? Paul begins by saying, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
Doesn't this language kind of remind you of those family road trips you used to take as a kid, right? Grumblings and complainings, mom and dad in the front seat, you and your siblings fighting, hitting each other over the head. Didn't have seatbelt laws back then. You were going crazy in the back seat, weren't you? Grumbling over how much longer it's going to take to get there and then disputing with mom and dad. But I want to go to Pizza Hut. Well, I don't care if it takes an hour to eat at Pizza Hut. I want Pizza Hut. If grumbling and disputing are undesirable traits on a 500-mile road trip, how much more so as we live our lives before our sovereign and holy God? Understand this. When you grumble about your teachers at school or your boss or some political candidate or how unfortunate you are to be stuck in this dead-end job or this traffic, whatever it may be, you aren't just grumbling to yourselves or friends or family. You're, you're complaining before God. You might not consider it in the moment, but every time you complain, you're ultimately indicting God. Somehow he let you down. Somehow he really isn't in control. It's also a sign that you suffer from gospel dementia. You're forgetting the salvation that God has given you in Christ. You have forgotten that we live in the already, not yet. The the kingdom has come in Christ Jesus. And because of your faith in him, you belong to that kingdom right now. But it's not yet come in its fullness. That day is on the horizon. And so we live in the already not not yet. We live in a world that has some amazing beauty and goodness in it. Yet it is also broken and ugly and dark. You know, it's true, isn't it? There's pretty much every hour of the day, there's plenty of things that come at us that could cause us to grumble and to complain, right? Even when we do, even when we do everything right, all can go wrong. That's how it is. We live in the already, not yet. But the gospel tells us that in Christ, our future is certain. That we have a heavenly father who is far wiser than us. He has his reasons why he will not stop at Pizza Hut. And so when you complain, even the slightest bit, you are calling into question God's love for you. And his desire to work out everything for good and for his glory. So to grumble and sinfully question is a symptom of gospel dementia. In verses 14 and 15, Paul points the Philippians back in the Bible. Maybe some of these words that we read sound familiar, like they come from the Old Testament. And you would be right. In Exodus 15... What we see taking place is God has just redeemed his people. The most amazing redemption other than what Christ has done. He has got them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he's going to take them to the promised land. And in chapter 15, the nation of Israel is just three days into a two-week journey to the promised land. right? But they're thirsty, and they stop at a spring, and the water is bitter. It's undrinkable. But instead of calling out in faith to God, saying, God, you're the God who got us out of this. We know you're powerful. We know you love us. What can you do now to help? What do do they do? The words are they grumbled. They questioned. They disputed with Moses, God's servant. 
And that is what we can do too. We can forget the great deliverance that God has already orchestrated on our behalf. How he sent his son into a dark and ugly world to bring salvation and to begin the work of spreading the light of the gospel around this world. We forget that even the son of God had plenty cause to complain. But unlike you and me, our Lord lived with gospel intensity. But may our memories be intact. May we live each day with the reality of the already not yet. Instead of seeing those traffic jams or the difficult teacher as a reason to grumble, let's use them as indicators of our need for the gospel. May it remind us that we live in the already not yet and that we belong to the king who will one day finally deliver us. And may it remind us of our Father's great love for his children. So the children of God aren't to be grumblers or complainers. Next we see that the children of God are to demonstrate that they really are children by the way in which they live. Paul points out our purpose for the non-grumbling. Verse 15 says, So that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, Paul is not saying, go and be good little boys and girls, and then you're going to earn your status as sons and daughters. That's not the gospel. Uh, That would be contrary to the entire Bible itself. No, we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith in Christ. But again, what Paul is doing is he's pointing us back to to the Israelites, back in that time in which they grumbled and complained. But now, these very words that he's writing in verse 15, we see them in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5, for you note takers. By the time of Deuteronomy 32, that whole generation that grumbled on day three is mostly all died off. None of them will enter the promised land. It's been 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And now Moses stands with their children, the next generation. He's standing with them on the, uh, as about ready to enter into the promised land. And he preaches a sermon. And in this sermon, he said these words about their faithless parents. He's, Moses says, they, that's their grumbling parents, have dealt cor- corruptly with him, him being God. And listen to this. They are no longer His children, because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Paul is purposely pointing us back to the generation that experienced such great grace and deliverance and yet lived with gospel dementia. (laughs) The great God who delivered them, they've forgotten. They don't serve or trust. And so they have been marked as blemished in a crooked and twisted generation. Paul is saying, don't be like that faithless generation, but instead be the people of God that God has called you to be. Because God has made us blameless and innocent in Christ Jesus, let us live that way. And when we do this together as a church, a great purpose is achieved. What is that purpose that all churches share? The third way we are called to live as children of God is that we are to shine as lights 
into this dark world. Understand our purpose. It's not individual, it's communal. Too often we read our Bibles as just like it's just talking to you as an individual. Um, no, Paul is, is writing to a, a church. Yes, there's individuals in it, but he's not writing to individuals who just happen to go to church. Have you ever seen a fire burning with just one log? Just one log in the fire? Unless it's a Duraflame. I know, there's caveats. But just a real log, all right? Okay, so does it burn bright? Is there much heat? Does it last very long? No. But where there's a fire with multiple logs, is there not great heat and light and longevity? So it is with the church. So Paul is saying, your life as gathered together people of God in Philippi is to be a witness to this world of light and heat and warmth and beauty. The way you love each other and carry each other's burdens. The way you consider each other more significant than yourself. The way you differ on opinions, yes, on many, many things, and yet you're united on the one big thing, Christ the Lord. And also the way in which you don't grumble, but instead with, live with such hopefulness and joy. Tell me, when we live this way, is that not heat and warmth and light to a dark and struggling world? There's many ways that we do this, but one aspect is that we're called just to go out and gather people, to seek them. We call it evangelism. It it doesn't mean hitting people over the head with hammers. Uh, Evangelism means to good news somebody with good news, all right? That's what evangelism means. And it's not a man-made endeavor. We need to understand that, first and foremost, evangelism is all God's idea. It flows from his loving heart. We are children of a heavenly father who loves sinners who live in darkness. And the more we mature as a church in love for sinners who live in darkness, the more we will live as lights to our neighbors on the East End. And I think most all of us here want that, right? I don't think there's anyone who would raise their hands up. I don't want anybody to know uh, about the light of God at all. You know, I think all of us would say we want that, right? But let's ask, how are we doing that as a church? <laughs> I think we could point to a number of things we do well. I think there's some great foundations that, that we can build on. But I do believe we've got a long ways to go as a church in being a light in our community. With regards to evangelism, there's really three critical components that must be present in a church for there to be growth in this area. The first is, we must have a heart like God's, right? Our hearts must beat like our Heavenly Father's heart for the people in this world, that we would have more concern for them than we do for our own selves. That's a hard place to get to, I know, it's hard. But that's what we must develop. We also need skills so we can be successful, so we can have confidence to actually open our mouths and start talking. And we need opportunities to share this light in the world around us. You know, I think some of you have hearts like this, but you maybe just lack the skills. (laughs) Some of you have some skills, but maybe you lack the heart. And I think we all, we all would benefit by more opportunities to, to share the gospel. So I think all of you know, it's in your bulletin, it's, it's been proclaimed, but you know, we've, we have the evangelism workshop starting up in 17 days. In this workshop, we're going to hopefully grow and with hearts 
like God for our neighbors. We're going to develop some skills, um, and we're going to practice them. It's called a workshop because it's hands-on. We're going to learn things and not just put them in our heads, but do them. And they say that when you practice things, that's when you really learn them. And so it's a workshop. And um, what I'm calling you to do, Grace Church, is, is to take part in that. Uh, I don't want any grumbling or disputing. <laughs> See how that worked? Um, but, you know, figure out a way to get there on Wednesday night. Sign up for the course. And um, I think together, as we go through this, we're going to learn and grow. And I think we'll be better enabled to be um, lights on the east end. So that's... Anybody else bothered by this fly or is it just me? Who sent it up here? Somebody sent it up here, didn't they? My cologne must be wearing off. All right. Adriana, strip that from the, the audio that goes on the internet. Or just leave it. All right. All right. Now it's now it feels like it's still there, but it's not. You ever get that feel like you have a bug around you and it bothers you and then it leaves and you still feel like it's on your head? Anyway. All right. There it is. All right. Salt and light, guys. Hey, um, the second thing we need to look at is our approach to living as children of God. Now, Paul earlier has been telling us that we're to have the mind of Christ, this beautiful mind of Christ, and it's ours. We have it as Christians. But here he builds upon it um, by showing us how we're to approach this calling that we share. And Paul addresses four things. We're going to fly through them. First, we see that we are to center our lives on the word of God. Look at verse 16. End of 15. We are to shine as lights in the world by holding fast to the word of life. My friends, scripture as it points us to life in Christ is the word of life. I know many today uh, characterize the Bible as, as nothing more than human words, myths, and legends. I know I used to, I, used to, I get it. I, I used to think the exact same thing until two things happened. One, that very word of God gave life to my soul in life in Christ. And two, somehow I ended up in seminary and studied long and hard. And I came to realize that this really is, the Bible really is the inspired word of God. Um, that it is just one giant story of his sovereign grace, of his desire to, to take what has become ugly and dark and, and make it beautiful and light through his son, Jesus Christ. So the Bible is the word of life, and when we hold fast to it in every aspect and area of our lives, we ourselves, and as a church, we're transformed in beauty. It's a food and water for our hungry and thirsty souls. It's a lamp for our feet in a dark and dangerous world. And the more we hold fast to the word of life, the more the light of Christ radiates through our church. The second aspect of our approach to living as children of God is this. This might be a hard one for some of us. Christians are to learn the principle of delayed gratification. Let's complete verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying to the Philippians, look, there's people all around you, Jews and Romans, and they're pointing at me. Uh, they're saying, what a waste. He's in prison. He's most likely going to get executed, you know. Look at that man. He had such great potential. Great intelligence. Look at him. His mission to failure. He's thrown away his life. 
And Paul is saying to the Philippians, not so fast. My mission will not have failed if you walk by faith and shine as lights into this dark world. Paul's saying that if you do that, then on the last day, the Lord will point and say, look, Paul, at the fruit of your ministry. So Paul is helping these Philippians to realize that Paul's final report card doesn't come until that day. It is in the distant future. And Paul is saying, I'm willing to undergo great suffering. I'm willing to look like a fool so long as God uses me to grow his people. Paul isn't living for short-term gain. Paul is teaching the Philippians the principle of delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is the passing up of something good now for something great later. Now, this isn't just a message for then. It's a message for us today. Are we not bombarded with advertisement telling us that you deserve the best now? It's only $4.29 a month with zero down. Oh, how happy and successful you will be. Don't delay. Get it now. Americans need to learn delayed gratification. And so does the American church. Like our Lord, we need to, that we follow, we need to welcome sacrifice in the present so that reward may come in the future. Let me ask you, who's that, who's that one person that if you would sacrifice time to pray for, to meet with, to share life with, to talk about what you believe in? Who's that one person that if you would sacrifice that time for them, that perhaps could come to trust in Christ, or perhaps as you disciple them, they grow and mature uh, into faithful followers of Christ? Who is that person? Grace Church, we need to learn the principle of delayed gratification. Thirdly, for us to shine as lights as God's children on the East End, we need to embrace the fact that sanctification is expensive. Sanctification, if you weren't here last week, that's, it's the process of God making you more like Jesus uh, until the day you die or Christ returns. Sanctification is expensive. Look at verse 17. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Here's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. He's saying, Philippians, understand this. Your sanctification is very expensive. Paul is saying, God so much wants you to grow and mature uh, as effective Christians that he is willing to allow my life to be poured out for you. See, a drink offering wasn't the main offering. It was an additional sacrifice that took place alongside the offering. A priest would go in and offer up a a, a lamb or a bull and, and on the altar and flames and fire. And the priest then, along with that sacrifice, would take a chalice of wine and pour it out along with the, the sacrifice to create a pleasing aroma to God. And in many ways, a drink offering then was a sort of kind of just topping off of the main sacrifice. Paul is saying, Paul is saying, 
if you will live your life in faith and faithful sacrifice, I'm happy to be poured out alongside you. That's an amazing statement. Paul's saying that if, if his life can be beneficial to their maturing in Christ, he's happy to expense himself for them. He sees himself as an add-on to their great sacrifice. Paul, the wonderful apostle. See, the church in Philippi prospered because of Paul and other leaders. Uh, in the very next section, we're introduced to Timothy and Epaphroditus, men who poured out their lives in a very costly manner. And you know what? It's been like this ever since that day. Godly men and women who offer their lives so that young, immature Christians may grow and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Our church has a number of such people. I'm not talking about me and my wife. We have godly men and women in this church who pour out their lives and gladly do so. So you can grow and mature as followers of Christ. You probably know who they are. You've seen them. You've experienced their blessing in your life. Some of you are these leaders. God has called you a costly calling. And you do delight in it, though. You delight to be poured out so that others may grow in God's grace. And you consider it worth the cost. And I think anyone who belongs to Christ has benefited from someone pouring their life out for them. I can point to a number of people who poured out their life in a church that I was a part of, and uh, I benefited from it. How about you? Which leads to the fourth thing Paul addresses in our approach to living as children of God. Fourth thing we need to learn is how to rejoice at the self-giving of others. Look at verse 18. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying that it's important for us to learn to rejoice at the self-giving of others. Now, isn't it true that when we're being blessed by the life of a great man or woman of faith, we can feel sorry that we've kind of wasted their time or, you know, caused so many issues to come out, you know. They've walked with us and we've been slow to recognize our own sin and take ownership of it, or we've been slow to really grasp God's grace and take great joy in it. Uh, uh, we've called them and interrupted them throughout the day and late at night and, and um, but that person was patient and persistent. But in those times, we can kind of feel foolish, can't we? We feel like we've wasted their time. Paul is saying, I don't see it that way. And I don't want you to see it that way. A person who has come to see their life as a drink offering does not see their offering as wasted. So instead, be glad, give thanks, rejoice. Send them a card or an email. <laughs> Let them know they're appreciated. Because guess what? Usually what they normally get is, is grumbling and disputing, right? So 
but they don't need any reward. Their reward is seeing you trust in Christ more and more, seeing you love God and neighbor, seeing you develop a heart like God for the lost living in darkness, and seeing you live as Christ as a church with your desire to shine the light of Christ. So Grace Church, do we see ourselves like that building that N.T. Wright spoke about at the beginning of this sermon? Do we see ourselves as a building of Christ's beauty with a calling to, to shine the light of the gospel into our dark and ugly world? Do you understand? We live in the already, not yet, as children of God. And so we have a calling not to grumble and complain because of all the darkness around us, but to shine as lights into the darkness. This means some of you got to evaluate your social media. <laughs> During this election process, I've seen so many Christian postings for the left and the right that frankly are nothing but grumblings and disputing causing dissensions, posting horrible pictures of candidates that demean people made in God's image. Yes, I agree. There's, you know, the political process has brought us maybe some, some candidates that perhaps are flawed. But guess what? We're flawed. We're flawed people saved by a perfect redeemer. Bill and Hillary, uh, um, you know, the Hillary and... and Donald Trump are men and women made in God's image. And so we're to be very careful of the pictures we post, the things we say about people made in God's image. Guess what? People are watching us. They know we belong to Grace Church. <laughs> Whenever we post something that, that is demeaning or demoralizing or depict somebody um, in real cruel characterizations, um, we're saying that we don't understand the already not yet. It's also saying we don't understand our Savior. Think about it. What if there was social media in Jesus' day? Not going to believe what's happened in Jerusalem. Yeah, hashtag false messiah. They've got that Jesus of Nazareth. They're beating the heck out of him. They're making him wear purple like he's a king or something. Look at this picture I got. He's wearing a crown of thorns. What a fool. Who would follow such a leader like that? Look at the sign above his head. King of the Jews. Ha ha. Post that one. Share that one. The way of our Lord, he was the one who was mocked and ridiculed. All kinds of harsh and evil things said about him. So the people like us who are prone to doing things like that can be forgiven. May we live in light of that truth, my friends. May we be a people who are careful with what we say. And none of our earthly presidents, whoever they may be, are the Messiah. Then none of them are going to deliver us out of the darkness. Some may be better than others, but our hope is where? In our king who will return. May we live that way. So Grace Church, may we live as lights. May the world see in us a foretaste of the good and beautiful work that God is doing in his people. 
and that he will one day do for this entire world. In light of Paul's words, do you, do you prize this calling that is upon us as a church? Do you see it as the most important thing in your life? Do you see how this calling to be children of God, living as lights in this world, it really it must be um, seen as, as to press down on all our other callings, whether you're called to be a student or a homemaker or a teacher or a builder, whatever, you're, whatever you do, it's a subordinate calling to this great and holy calling. Maybe recognize our calling as children of God. Maybe hold fast to the word of life. Maybe live with delayed gratification. Maybe be glad for those who have poured out their lives for us. And may we too live in such a way that we delight to pour out our lives for others. So that others may grow in their walk with Christ. May the East End be transformed by the beauty of Christ. Because Christ dwells in his church here. May this light of Christ transform us and may we shine it into this dark world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, though we're not worthy of our status, uh, you have elected us and adopted us as sons and daughters. We belong to you. Our future is certain. Though surrounded by darkness, we have the light. Enable us more and more to walk in this light, that we may be um, people who disperse this light all over the East End and wherever we live and go. Uh, May we do it for your glory, we pray. Amen.